guys, I'm Ray Bella, and this is Words for Granted, a podcast that looks at how words change over time. This podcast is a free educational resource, so if you like the show and would like to contribute something, head over to wordsforgranted.com and follow the link to my Patreon account. Patreon is a crowdfunding service that helps independent creators get their work out into the world. And if you'd like to find out more about how it works, well, just head over to the site. So, this is the final episode in our technology-themed mini-series. It's also a bonus episode, which means we'll be going into a little more technical linguistic detail than we usually do. Actually, to call this episode technology-themed is a bit of a cop-out. Sorry, guys. We'll be talking about the word mouse, which of course applies to the term computer mouse, but we'll be using it as a springboard into a much larger topic. But first things first, where does the term computer mouse come from? There's nothing esoteric about it. The term computer mouse comes from the very simple fact that the original model for the handheld pointing device that we all use on a regular basis just so happens to resemble an actual mouse. Its right and left clickers look like ears, its cord looks like a tail. You get the idea. The first attested usage of the word appears in a 1965 article by Bill English entitled Computer-Aided Display Control, and the name has been around ever since. While many modern computer mouses still have two distinct clickers and a cord, innovations such as wireless mouses, flat mouses, and optical ball mouses, to name a few, have rendered some computer mouses a little less mouse-like. But regardless of how computer mouses may look in the future, as long as their function remains the same, I suspect that their name will remain the same too. Now, notice that when referring to more than one computer mouse, I said computer mouses, not computer mice. The plural form computer mice is also accepted, but that's besides the point. Why are we allowed to pluralize a computer mouse by adding ES to the end, but not allowed to do this when we pluralize an actual mouse, as in the rodent? Perhaps the better question is, why the heck do we say mice in the first place? The answers to these questions lie not only in the history of the words mouse and mice, but also in the history of the English language at large. As the title of this episode gives away, the irregular plural word mice is what this episode is really about, and the pretense of a technology theme was really just a way of having an entry point into an otherwise obscure topic. I mean, really, who wakes up in the morning and says, I think I need to learn more about irregular plurals today? Well, clearly I do. And my hope is that by the end of this episode, you'll have an appreciation of why irregular plural words such as mice, and a few others we'll talk about later, are so special. To trace the roots of the irregular plural word mice, we're going to have to go way back in time. But before we take this chronological leap, I first would like to take a brief look at the word mouse. The word mouse has been a part of the English language for a very long time. 
In Old English, it was pronounced moose. In Middle English, mouse. And by Early Modern English, mouse, which is the form of the word we still have with us today. But the ultimate root word for mouse is even older than this. We can trace it all the way back to the prehistoric Proto-Indo-European language, which, as some of you may know, is the ancient mother tongue that produced geographically disparate languages such as Greek, Latin, Sanskrit, Persian, and many others. Why bother going this far back in time, though? This is a bit of a tangent, but if your hands aren't occupied, roll up your sleeves and flex your bicep a couple of times. Take a look at the way the muscle moves. What does it look like to you? It kind of resembles a mouse, right? Well, believe it or not, the mus in muscle is actually cognate with mouse. The modern English word muscle is derived from the Latin word musculus, which literally means little mouse. Like computer mouse, the etymology of musculus is not esoteric. Latin-speaking people observe that muscles, especially biceps and calf muscles, can look like little mice wriggling beneath the skin, hence the name musculus. The ancient Greeks made this same connection between mice and muscles, too. The Greek word mus meant both mouse and muscle, and this word has come down to us in the medical prefix myo, as it appears in terms such as myocardium, myopathy, and myoglobin, myo means muscle. Millennia later, British seamen from the 17th century also applied the word mouse to a handful of nautical terms describing knots and shackles. I bring up this etymological trivia to reinforce a larger point. Words are seldom brand new, even when they describe new things. We talked about this concept in last week's episode on the word cellular. Ultimately, what I'm trying to say here is that long before the word mouse was adapted in the 20th century as the name of a computer's pointing device, it already had been adapted several times by several cultures at several points in history. But enough about the word mouse. What about mice, its irregular plural form? Where does this irregular construction come from? It comes from a historical linguistic sound change known as the Germanic umlaut, and more specifically, the I mutation. In German, umlaut literally means change of sound or sound change. In the realm of linguistics, an umlaut is what happens when the original pronunciation of a given vowel gradually shifts toward the pronunciation of the following vowel in the same word. Let me try to put that in simpler terms. You can think of an umlaut as a word's path of least resistance in the mouth, literally. If a word has two vowels that are pronounced in different parts of the mouth, such as ah and e, more effort is required to pronounce this word than if those vowels were pronounced in the same part of the mouth. You can investigate this for yourself. Grab your jaw and say the vowel ah. Keep your hand there and now say the vowel e. Now say a-e as one word. Can you feel the way your jaw moves from the back to the front? Yeah, it's because a is a back vowel and e is a front vowel, which is to say that the vowel a occurs in the back of the mouth while the vowel e occurs in the front of the mouth. 
An umlaut relocates adjacent vowels in a given word to just one region of the mouth, usually the front, and as a result, the given word it affects tends to roll off the tongue more easily. Grab your jaw again and pronounce the sounds A-E. The jaw no longer moves from the back to the front because both A and E are front vowels. Okay, so what the heck does this discussion of the Germanic umlaut have to do with the pluralization of mouse to mice? These aren't German words. Well, to some degree, they are. English is a Germanic language, which is to say that it is ultimately derived from the ancestral Proto-Germanic language. A very cursory understanding of the ancient grammar of this Proto-Germanic language is key to understanding how the modern English irregular plural word mice was created via the Germanic umlaut. When I said we were going back in time at the beginning of this episode, I wasn't kidding. The Proto-Germanic language had a much more complicated system of grammar than its derivatives have today. For the sake of today's story, we need to know a little bit about how Proto-Germanic speakers formed plural nouns. First, let's look at how we do this in English. Modern English forms plural nouns in a simple and regular manner. We add an S or sometimes an ES to the end of a word. There are a few exceptions to this rule, but the overwhelming majority of our plural nouns are formed in this way. Easy. In the ancestral Proto-Germanic language, however, depending on the grammatical case and gender of a noun, there were many suffixes or inflections that could be added to the end of a word to indicate its plural form. One of these endings was is, spelled I-Z. Moose, the Proto-Germanic root word of the English word mouse, once took on this is ending, so its plural form would have been muses. By the time the Proto-Old English dialect had emerged from Proto-Germanic, the pronunciation of muses morphed into mises. Do you see what happened? The original oo sound, which occurs in the back of the mouth, shifted to an e sound, which occurs in the front of the mouth, thus placing it closer to the short i sound that occurs in the is suffix. This, ladies and gentlemen, is the Germanic umlaut at work. You might want to stop the podcast and re-listen to the segment in which I explain its technical workings now that you have a better idea about what it actually refers to in the context of the word mice. The type of Germanic umlaut that we've specifically been discussing is called the I mutation because the ultimate culprit of this sound change is the short I sound, I, in that suffix is. As time went on, the mutated vowel sound was enough to indicate the plural form to its speakers, so the original suffix was no longer necessary. By the time Old English came fully into its own, the suffix was dropped and mises simply became mis. Fast forward over a thousand years, and today we have the word mice. Again, this demonstrates the linguistic trend of slurring and simplifying words. This manifestation of the I mutation is responsible for a small handful of other irregular plural nouns in modern English. Men, women, feet, teeth, geese, and lice are the only surviving holdovers from this ancient construction. At one point, this class of I mutated plurals was actually quite common. 
For instance, the plural form of the word book was once bek, if you can believe it. Again, this vowel shift from e to e was caused by the relocation of vowels to a single region within the mouth. The e sound is closer to the front of the mouth than the e sound, so when the original plural suffix is was added to the word book, the pronunciation gradually shifted from book is to beck is and eventually to beck. Like most of the Old English I-mutated plurals, beck ultimately died out and was replaced by a standardized plural form, which of course is books. So if most of these I-mutated plurals died out, why did a handful of them go against the grain and survive into the modern era? The most likely reason is because the words men, women, teeth, feet, mice, and geese are very basic and very old words. Things such as body parts and animal names form a language's core vocabulary, and because these core vocabulary words are taught to children at a very early age, they tend to remain fairly constant over time. Of course, there are dozens of core vocabulary words in English that don't preserve this older form, and in fact, most don't. For whatever reason, this particular handful never managed to change. Before we wrap up today's episode, let's return to another question posed at the beginning. Why is the plural form mouses acceptable when we are talking about the computer technology? If you haven't already forgotten, this episode was supposed to be technology-themed. Well, nowadays, when new words emerge or foreign words are borrowed into English, they conform to very standardized rules, and one of these rules is the S plural ending. To refer to multiple computer mouses as computer mice is really to harken back to a long, extinct system of pluralization. The only reason that the word mice sounds correct to our ears is because we've been hearing it and saying it our whole lives. If the word mouse entered our language today, no one would naturally refer to two mouses as mice. The application of the word mouse to the pointing device used with computers created a completely new sense of the word, so this new word, in theory, should adhere to the textbook rules of modern English. However, because the word mouses just sounds wrong to most of us, the plural form computer mice is also accepted and probably will continue to be accepted. If there's anything this episode has shown, it's that some old habits are hard to break. Okay, that's it for this one, guys. That brings an end to our technology-themed miniseries. I hope you enjoyed it. I plan to do more thematically linked miniseries in the future, so if you have any suggestions for what you'd like to hear, email me at wordsforgranted at gmail.com. Don't forget to follow Words for Granted on Facebook, Instagram, and Twitter. If you know someone who you think might be interested in the podcast, don't keep it a secret. Tell them about it. And if you have a free second today and you enjoyed the show, please leave a positive review on iTunes because that is very helpful to getting the show into more people's hands. Okay, thanks a lot, guys. I'll see you next time here at Words for Granted. Words for Granted.